Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live. From Connecticut Public Radio, I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The musical Hairspray opens this weekend at Simsbury High School. The all-student cast play dance-loving teens in 1960s Baltimore during the time of segregation and discrimination. Now, the Simsbury cast is made up of suburban students and Hartford teenagers who are part of the Open Choice Program, students who are bused in to attend Simsbury schools. Coming up, we talk with the school's theater director and some student cast members about their decision to perform Hairspray. The production has led students to talk about issues of discrimination and race today, starting in their own community. We'll hear from them in just a few minutes. First, the Open Choice Program in Connecticut started under a different name before the landmark Chef versus O'Neill desegregation case. Chef plaintiffs at the time argued the Choice Program wasn't doing enough to reduce racial segregation. Now, three days later, three decades later, rather, the state announced it has settled Chef. To tell us more, joining me now in studio is Jacqueline Rabe-Thomas, an education reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. Uh, Jackie, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So remind us again about uh, the the chef case. This was a a lawsuit, I believe, that was filed back in 1989. Uh, What prompted uh, those parents uh, to come forward to talk about segregation in schools? Sure. So back then, children were living in separate and unequal schools here in Hartford and in many places around the country. And parents decided they had had enough, and a coalition of parents decided to file a lawsuit to say enough is enough. It's time for some different changes to to take place so that our children are giving this, given the same equal opportunity as those from surrounding suburbs are being given. And so it took several years before the state Supreme Court ruled. Uh, what did they uh, decide for uh, Connecticut? They found that children who are attending these racially isolated schools and economically isolated schools suffer daily, quote, suffer daily from the different education systems that exist in Connecticut. You know, just a couple miles down the street based on the a very specific state statute that's, that separates the towns that students go to school based on the towns that they live on, live in. And uh, before uh, this uh, decision, uh, you know, when we look back at even our country's history, there were uh, certain areas of the country that uh, did mandatory busing. But in Connecticut, it was more of a voluntary approach before the suit was filed. Right. So it's always been a more of a voluntary approach here in Connecticut to try to adhere to the settlements that that followed the Chef v. O'Neill decision from the from the Supreme Court. And so what that has meant is, you know, you the state has provided some incentives through financial through funding to ask a place like Simsbury or an Avon to enroll some students in their school. It's called Open Choice Now. It used to be called Project Concern. But what you found over the years is just the enrollment and the number of seats that have been offered is really just a, a small, small number. So in Simsbury, for example, 176 of their students are Open Choice students. And even as Simsbury's population has drastically declined over the last 10 years, their population 
population has gone down by 21%. But they haven't filled that void with students from Hartford area. And Hartford actually has seen an increase in the number of students in their schools. Um, And all this is going on against the backdrop of this school funding law, or sorry, not school funding, the school desegregation lawsuit of let's try to entice a place like Simsbury or a place like Glastonbury to enroll more Hartford students if if they want. And um, if you look at the demand of number of students who are applying to a place like Simsbury last school, or sorry, for this school year, there were 18 1,817, sorry, 1,817 students who applied to enroll in a place like Simsbury or Avon, or they, they selected open choice for any district that had a spot. And in Simsbury, there were nine seats that were offered to that pool of students. So Eight, 1,817 students, nine seats were offered in Simsbury, 22 were offered in, in Glastonbury. Um, and this is coming even as their school age population is declining in the suburbs significantly. Um, after Chef, there was uh, the construction of many magnet schools uh, to help, uh, again, um, with some of these neighborhood schools that were uh, not um, helping uh, children uh, succeed. And so when we hear about a settlement, does that mean that the problem is over? Jackie? It is not. So the settlement just means that for the next two and a half years, by June 30th, 2022, that the state and the plaintiffs have to come up with a longer term sustainable path forward. Because the reality is it's something like 42% of Hartford students currently attend desegregated schools or integrated schools, but there's still 11,343 students in Hartford attending segregated schools, meaning that at least three quarters of the students in that school are black, Hispanic minorities who are not attending the same level of schools that that the suburbs enjoy so so well. Uh, When we think about the Chef versus O'Neill case, again, uh, the focus is on thinking about uh, schools and uh, seats open for whether it's a neighborhood Hartford uh, children to attend or to try to get suburban uh, students to come into Hartford. Uh, But there's also, uh, you know, the challenge of uh, greater policy issues. If we're really talking about segregation, this is something you've covered uh, pretty extensively, and that's a housing policy in our state, Jackie. Right. So this settlement does not tackle housing segregation at all. Um, If you look at where students go to school, it's their neighborhood school. And so you have to, you know, look outside and see what the type of housing is that's out there. And in Hartford, 40 percent or 39 percent of Hartford's housing is deed restricted, meaning it is reserved for low income families. So you have a large share of Hartford's housing reserved for low income families. Well, then it should come as no surprise to anyone that the students attending those schools are from low income families. Um, And so you have that pattern sort of feeding segregation. But this is not a case of housing segregation. This is a case of the, the chef case is to tackle school segregation. Um, I was at an event down in Westport three, four months ago, and John Britton, one of the original attorneys in the case, said, like, we should have also made this a housing segregation case um, because that's really the underlying issue here is housing segregation. Uh, we're talking with Jacqueline Rabe Thomas, again, educational reporter for the Connecticut Mirror, as we look at um, some of the factors that led uh, the Chef versus O'Neill uh, case to be settled uh, more than 30 years after it was filed. You know, there was also uh, another uh, lawsuit uh, challenging uh, Connecticut's desegregation efforts with this announcement of a state settlement. What happens with that case, Jackie? 
To be determined. Um, there explicitly in this settlement that was reached just a couple of weeks ago in the chef case, it says you cannot make decisions about who gets into a school based on their skin color. And so I asked the attorney general during the press conference, you know, what what does what's the future of that other case? And and he stated at the time that he believes that the state is on strong legal ground in that case, um, you know, that the state's living within its obligation. So I wouldn't be surprised if that case is, um, you know, in the near future, no longer becomes an issue for the state of Connecticut. And as we look at the, the state moving forward again with um, trying to um, reach uh, the educational needs of all children in our state, uh, when we think about the Chef versus O'Neill uh, suit, uh, you thinking about uh, race as a factor, moving forward, thinking more about the socioeconomic economic backgrounds of families as we look to educational opportunity? Right. So the way that the lottery is going to be drawn now, there's a there's three different brackets for socioeconomic factor. And and to be fair, race transcends wealth oftentimes. And so the idea is that you're going to have these three different brackets that you're pulling from to have socioeconomic diversity. So you have so you have individuals from all different backgrounds. Um, and then with that comes also racial and ethnic diversity as well. Um, at the start of our conversation, Jackie, uh, we were talking about the Open Choice Program, again, um, allowing uh, children uh, from Hartford to be bused into suburban districts, uh, whether it's Simsbury or others. You mentioned that a lot of these towns now are dealing with declining enrollment. And so moving forward, are there ways that the state can encourage uh, these suburban districts to open up more seats? I believe Simsbury is looking for funding to build more schools. Um, They have, you know, I haven't written on the subject of new schools in Simsbury, but there's places around the state who, with declining populations, with aging school buildings, they're considering building new buildings. Well, there's also the question of, okay, what role does sort of a more regional approach play in this? Last week, there was a press conference that the Senate Democrats had and the chairman of the Education Committee raised like, well, hey, how about we have we start considering a more regional approach when we're we're awarding some state capital dollars to build schools or to maybe start considering the type of housing that you're bu- that you're building in these communities as well to maybe have some sort of correlation to have more of a systemic um, solution to this versus just building really expensive magnet schools going forward. Jacqueline Rabe Thomas, again, is reporter for the Connecticut Mirror. Jackie, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Coming up, we hear from one of the suburban high schools that accepts Hartford students under this open choice program. The students are staging the musical Hairspray this weekend. We find out why they chose this play and the conversations that have been sparked in school and out. You can join us, too. The number 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Remember Hairspray? Before the Broadway musical became a hit, there was the 1988 comedy. In it, Ricky Lake plays the beloved Tracy Turnblad, who turns into a local TV star and rallies against racial segregation in 1962 Baltimore. Now, this weekend, Simsbury High School will open Hairspray, and the cast is a blend of students who live in Simsbury and Hartford. A couple of the cast members join me now in studio, as well as the school's theater director. I want to introduce uh, Dr. Stuart Yance uh, to the show, director of theater at Simsbury High School. Stuart, welcome to Where We Live. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Also, again, with us is our two students, uh, part of the cast. Shamar Sutton is a senior at Simsbury, and his character is Dwayne in the school's production of Hairspray. Shamar, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. And also here is Ainsley Thompson, a senior at Simsbury, who plays Penny Pingleton in the school's production of Hairspray. Uh, Ainsley, welcome to Where We Live. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, So, Stuart, I I gave a little uh, synopsis uh, or summary of of Hairspray. Uh, Tell our listeners uh, who may not be familiar, again, um, I loved watching Ricky Lake because I was an 80s child, uh, but the musical came later. Uh, So tell us about the plot. It's uh, set on the Corny Collins show, which was one of the uh, 1960s dance shows. And uh, Tracy Turnblatt gets on the show and wants to integrate uh, the the show. One day a month, they have Negro Day. Mm -hmm. And so Tracy wants to make every day Negro Day. And so it's it's about coming together. It's about... um, letting everyone be who they are. Mm-hmm. Now, how long have you been the theater director at Simsbury High School? I'm in my 16th year. Yeah. So why Hairspray? We wanted, about three years ago, we were really wanting to, um, to look at a piece like this. And uh, we always have wanted our Project Choice kids to be involved. It's been hard because we rehearse at night. Um, our athletics are in, right after school, and you know we go five to nine. It was hard to get these kids home to Hartford, and so we were able to extend our CREC grant, and we now send the kids home in, in taxi cabs. We provide food for them for dinner, and uh, it's just been really a wonderful experience to get uh, to be able to have that access for our students mm-hmm. from Hartford. Now, you mentioned that there are students that are part of the Open Choice program that are part of uh, the cast. Uh, Shamar Sutton is one of them. So you live in Hartford, but you've been going to uh, schools in Simsbury for many years. Correct. Um, I've been going to school in Simsbury since second grade. I first came over there because my parents had won the correct lottery and it would uh, send me there. And going from like Burns Latinos Academy, where I used to go to Toon Hills Elementary School was a very big change. Uh, my parents weren't sure how long it would go for due to like transportation, but over the years, Craig has definitely gotten better with like bringing me home and making sure that like everything that I need is all like there for me, so I could have like the full education experience. And I'd say that I enjoyed it very well. So, give me an idea. Uh, what time do you have to get on the bus in the morning, and what time do you get dri- dropped off? So, I get up in the morning at about. 6 o'clock because I had to make the bus by 6.30. So I have enough time to, like, you know, grab something from the fridge, make some food, um, brush my hair, brush my teeth, get up, get out of bed. So I get to the bus stop about 6, 6.30 is when my bus leaves, and then I get to the school about 7. So it's a 30-minute drive. It does get monotonous some days, but most of the days I'm falling asleep, so <laughs> I can't even remember. Um, but I definitely say that it is a balanced schedule because I'm able to get up out of bed. I'm not like hating myself in the morning. 
And then um, how? what time do you get dropped off? Um, not with, When you're not in this play, what time would you be dropped off at your house? Uh, so normally if it was like a regular school day, I wasn't doing anything after I got home about say 3 o'clock is when I'd go home. So I'd have a lot of time like after school to like do my homework, make sure everything else is needed. If I need to go somewhere, I can get there. And so this is, is this your first time in the, the school play? Uh, this is my first time in the school play, actually. Um, I've definitely enjoyed it, though. It was a new experience and something to get used to. But I'd say that if I had to do it all over again, I feel like I still would do it because yeah, it has its ups and downs, but I definitely feel like it's going to be a positive outcome. Mm. And what do you mean by ups and downs? Tell me more about that. Uh, mainly just like um, balancing track and the Hairspray musical together. It does get a little cumbersome at times, but I definitely feel like I would still keep doing it because I, like, at the end of the day, I still like I'm still like here. I'm still able to do it. Mm. And we heard uh, Stuart Yans mention uh, that there was a, a correct grant that helps pay for transportation for students who are in the cast but don't live in Simsbury. So without that, that you wouldn't have been able to make it work. Correct. You could, maybe we could find some other way, but it definitely wouldn't have been this easy. Yeah. And then sitting next to you is a classmate, again, uh, Ainsley Thompson, who's also a senior. And you play Penny Pinkleton, who was uh, Tracy's best friend, if I remember. Yes. Uh, she is, I mean, I'm biased, but she's my favorite character in the show. Um, she is the spunkiest, happiest person, I think, in the show. She has the best of intentions, but I don't know if she's necessarily the brightest. Um, but she is such a little ball of light. She only wants there to be happiness. And I think that she's super important to the show as well because she is the first person to start the integration with relationships with other African-Americans. Um, she falls in love with Seaweed, who is the uh, leading African-American character in the show. And their relationship is really sweet. It's mostly just about finding each other and finding love and not about the skin color of the, the people. Mm. Uh, today we're talking about this uh, production at Simsbury High School. They're putting on the musical Hairspray. Uh, in studio with me is the theater director, Dr. Stuart Yance, uh, and also uh, two students, Shamar Sutton and Ainsley Thompson, uh, two cast members uh, of the show. Uh, Stuart, you mentioned uh, about uh, the themes of Hairspray uh, dealing uh, with race and discrimination. And so how did you, uh, besides picking this production, how did you talk about um, these themes with the cast and um, how did you coach them to think about um, how they've dealt with certain themes in their lives? We uh, first of all uh, hired uh, Dr. Duran Williams who is a theater professor, African-American theater professor at uh, uh, Eastern Connecticut State University. He came in and did a full week with us about um, segregation, about uh, everything. Um, uh, uh, racism and 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 was able to really help the students react to the play itself, not only in terms of uh, what's written there, but how it resonated in our school. Um, then we uh, right after winter break we had a really special event. We had uh, Reverend Art uh, Miller, who is a deacon in uh, one of the Catholic churches in Simsbury, who was a, a, a civil rights activist. Uh, our own uh, Angela Griffin, who's our director of performing arts, who's African-American. Uh, we have um, a wonderful gospel singer named Helen Walton and then Dr. Williams. And they did a panel discussion for us about what it was like to be in the 60s, what it was like to um, to 
have to deal with the issues and the race riots and, and how it affected their life. It was really amazing. And I, I, I watched our African-American students beam. And I watched a lot of our white students really open their eyes. And uh, I guess one of the nicest things at the very end, we all took a picture and we were all holding hands. And, and Deacon says, we shall overcome. And we all stood there and sang the Black National Anthem, and I, there were tears in everyone's eyes. It was really an amazing event. I wanted to hear uh, the students talk about that event. Uh, Shamar, uh, what, you know, what did it mean to you to not only be learning lines in a musical, but thinking about the context, whether it's a history that so often uh, we read from textbooks, maybe don't, we don't understand ourselves because we didn't live back then, but also thinking about um, dealing with issues of discrimination and tolerance today. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the first thing I'd say is that being like reading about black African-American history, like in textbooks and hearing it from someone who's definitely lived through that time, has seen like the, the seen the riots and the protests and has been an actual activist himself. You get your eyes definitely open from that experience because you're basically hearing someone else's story who's directly in front of you. So you can feel it more. You, I don't feel like you can gain that same thing from reading a book. Um, it definitely opened my eyes because growing up today, I don't feel like I experience like a lot of the things that they did because like they were there to make it better for me. So as I've gone through my life, I've definitely, I've had my share of like mishaps and moments where it's like, you know, something happens that really shouldn't, but I definitely haven't had it to that degree. So I think it's, um, it's definitely an eye opener that like, these things are still going on in the world and like it's not all like sunshine and rainbows everywhere. It's definitely still like, – we definitely still have a lot to work on. But having the panel discussion there and like hearing from Deacon Miller and everyone else who was there definitely like helped me understand like why we're doing this and why it's so important. Mm. Uh, I mentioned to our listeners uh, – I don't know if I did, but you've been going to uh, Simsbury School since grade school, so second grade. Uh, but what is it like um, to be a student from Hartford being bussed in to a predominantly white, wealthy suburb? And how did, how did students and teachers uh, respond to you over the years? It was definitely an interesting start because – um, in grade school, I was because this was like right um, before like a lot of people were getting integrated into Sinsbury schools. I was like, I think there were like two black kids in my whole and my whole school altogether. So it was definitely a lot to get used to because you know you'd walk around and all you see was white people and you're like, uh, like what's going on here? But over the years, like more and more people started joining and it got better and better. And then like the opportunities that I get from Sinsbury are increasingly better because in fifth grade I started a band and I love music and if I was still going to Burns Latinos Academy they don't have the um, I'm not sure if they added one because my friend said that they did but their music department isn't as strong as it is in Sinsbury so I feel like that's definitely something that like I've really enjoyed but as far as how teachers and like other students have reacted to me it didn't feel any different it felt like I was still just going to like a regular school with regular people. I'd never really had that issue of seeing like like a different approach to me because I was black going to a white school or because I looked different than the other kids. I still felt like I fit in and everyone was still welcoming to me. And I still get that at the high school. So I feel like it's great. 
Uh, your classmate Ainsley Thompson, again, who plays Penny Pinkleton in uh, the show, uh, the production Hairspray. So Ainsley, uh, tell me well, what it means for you uh, to be hearing about uh, these, uh, you know, experiencing these different events leading up to the, the performance. We heard Astrid Jans mention uh, hearing uh, from people in the community about the civil rights movement, but also uh, when you think about your student body and um, how the school um, works to either um, welcome uh, people um, from, whether they're from Hartford or, or their town, or maybe um, some barriers or challenges that remain. Yeah, I think that the main takeaway I had from the panel discussion that we saw was Deacon Miller talked about how in the civil rights movement, 5% of the population of the country was involved in active political riots and active political um, support for civil rights movements, which to me was a shock. I had not heard that statistic before, and it really made me think, made me take a step back. And he asked if we thought we were part of that 5%, which I think is incredibly difficult to ask someone and also incredibly difficult to answer. And it made me really think about what I was doing in the community and who I was in the school. And I started thinking about what it means to be an activist. For each person, it's definitely different. It might be that when you're walking down the hallway, you say hello to someone that you haven't said hello to before or... If you hear something derogatory, you may ask someone to stop saying that. Or it could mean that you go to a protest. And I think that's different for everyone because everyone has different levels of comfort. So I think that the most important thing that we can do for our school is remind people that just doing the smallest thing can really impact someone's day or impact someone's life, including your own. Um, Being someone who has had not met a lot of African-American students in my time at school. Joining this play really helped me find friends that I did not know I had before. Um, Just meeting people from different backgrounds. We have a couple of students who are from Ghana, and it's a really incredible experience to hear their stories. And I think the most important part of that is that it reminds you that even if you don't know exactly what someone has gone through, even if you can't experience that, you can sympathize with the fact that they have to deal with issues that are completely out of their control. And that's something that all of us understand, whether or not it's through race, through sexuality, gender, body image. It's so important to understand that everybody has to go through these things. Uh, you're hearing Ainsley Thompson, a senior at Simsbury High School, uh, one of the cast members of Hairspray that's uh, opening uh, this weekend at Simsbury High. Uh, her character is Penny uh, Pingleton. You know, uh, for people who are familiar uh, with uh, Hairspray, uh, Penny Pingleton, and you mentioned this uh, within the musical, um, she um, is uh, in a relationship with an African-American uh, character, Seaweed. And so when you think about this idea of, of a time when this kind of relationship was taboo, uh, but today uh, is more uh, common to have interracial relationships. Um, How did you, um, I guess, uh, let that um, experience influence how you play uh, Penny Pickleton on stage? I think that one of the most exciting parts about being Penny is being able to take a stance in the world where you don't see color other than the fact that You accept that someone's culture is who they are, but you don't take their skin color and 
use that against them. I think that the idea of being colorblind is not necessarily the best idea to think of because it takes away the culture of that person, the fact that they've gone through things. So when I'm playing Penny, I think my favorite song in the whole show is Run and Tell That, which is a song sung by Seaweed and the Motormouth um, Ensemble, which are African-American students. And it is this jazzy, bluesy, happy song about how there is absolutely no reason why anyone should dislike someone who is African-American because of their skin. And it is such a fun song to dance to. I think that when I am in that situation and feeling the love that I have with um, my cast member, Malachi, who plays Seaweed, it's such an amazing experience to just have fun. When I'm playing Penny, there's nothing that makes me think that I can't act a certain way or I can't be silly. I just enjoy the experience and I enjoy knowing that everyone is doing this together. Mm. Uh, Shamar Sutton, I'm wondering if you can add to uh, what uh, Ainsley was talking about in terms of, um, again, playing a character in 1960s uh, Baltimore, uh, dealing uh, with very upfront segregation and discrimination. Uh, Today we know uh, that uh, segregation still exists uh, because of policies. Uh, uh, We just heard from Jackie Rabe Thomas earlier talking about uh, just housing policy uh, in our state, um, influencing how schools can be segregated, uh, but also um, you know what it means uh, to be thinking about again uh, the, this particular theme in 2020, where uh, there still is a lot of divisiveness, and it's not uncommon uh, for some people who would see that maybe uh, students should just stay in their own town for uh, to go to um, to go to school. I mean, how would you react to that and respond uh, to those themes? Um, I definitely say that you shouldn't have to settle for a lower education or a lower way of living due to the color of your skin because that's not what defines you. What defines you is how smart you are, how much work you're willing to put in, how much you're willing to do to make something of yourself. And not a lot of people gain that opportunity because they can't. Um, I could, I bet like if you went to a black school right now, you could find an enormous amount of people who are incredibly intelligent, incredibly smart, who need that extra? Who need that extra push to try and do better and to uh, like gain like more opportunities? And you can definitely see it happening more than it was before because you know back then no like no one would do anything, but nowadays everyone's trying to like, make an attempt to try and like fix what's going on, like fix what's going on in the world, and try and like make everyone more equal and more together. And it's definitely been a treat. Um, my character is seeing him. Pl- um, played in the musical, I definitely can see the time relation from the 1960s to 2020 and how like far we've gone and like how much work we've like put in to try and fix things. And it's just not, it's not like we're not doing anything. We're definitely making an attempt to try and make things better. And seeing like the change from 1960 to 2020 is definitely a treat. And it's like amazing to see like how far we've come. I wanted to bring back into the conversation Dr. Stuart Yance, who's director of theater at Simsbury High School. Um, we should note that um, you have students at Simsbury who live in Simsbury who are also students of color. So it's not this idea that um, only students of color are being bussed in. And that's the only reason you have a more of a diverse uh, school population. But I'm curious if you could talk about um, more about how you're getting the school community, even the community of Simsbury involved in these discussions of race and privilege beyond the cast members? 
We, um, well, certainly, you know, we've done a lot with the cast members. We, the show itself will be, I think, uh, open conversations. We uh, have been doing quite a bit. We have a diversity committee uh, in Simsbury at, at, at the high school of faculty and students that look at issues of of race, but also of gender, sexuality, um, access to curriculum, access to honors programs, AP programs. Uh, we have a... An, uh, Equality committee that has begun. We have, um, we we really do try uh, to have a, a place that's inclusive for all. And uh, I am the GSA sponsor, which is the Gender Sexuality Alliance sponsor. And of course, our our kids that are um, dealing with that those issues are equally. Uh, we have to to bring those into the mix. Um, they, it would, we just, I guess, put it into our, our day. I mean, it's, it's, it's what we talk about. I wanted to, to bring up uh, when we think about um, discrimination and um, events that happened uh, in 2020 or even recently, about a year ago, Simsbury High School was in the news because of an incident. Uh, two students um, dressed up in blackface and shared photos on social media. And so I wanted to talk uh, with all of you about how that one incident, how that was discussed among the student body and an example of, I guess, when people think that they're doing something that may not be offensive, but it actually is, and how we can all learn from that. I'll start with you, Shamar. So definitely when the whole blackface thing happened, it was huge. Everyone was talking about it. And I I actually haven't found out about it until a couple of days later because I'm like I wasn't that much on social media during the time because I was take, kind of taking a break from social media. That's a good thing. So when I found out, <laughs> <laughs> so when I found out about it, I was definitely taken aback because I had no idea what was going on. Um, and the two students who ended up doing it had issued an apology and were talking about like how they didn't mean it or like like they weren't like trying to portray it in that way. And even though it was hard to believe them at first, after a while I could un- like I tried like simmering down. I could understand like why they might have done it. And the school ended up uh, starting a recenter program where during English class for. I think it was over a span of two weeks, they had everyone sit down and we did like these like kind of, I guess you could say icebreakers where we like really tried to like sit down and get to know each other and about issues in our school. And it definitely opened up people's eyes because they, most people in the school system do things so casually that they don't know whether it's offensive or if it's bad or like if they should stop because it like, they're just so used to doing it. So when they hear about how it's really bothering other people or how like how much of an impact it's having, they definitely started to change like their approach um, to doing certain things like thinking twice before posting something or like before they say something in the hallway if they're walking by someone or like doing something just in general or even school projects. People start like people would always do like really um, sensitive matters, but like now they're trying to like cut back on it and trying to make sure that like. They're not forcing anything down anyone's throat, but they're also make, making people aware of, like, what's been going on. Ainsley, can you add to that? Have you noticed uh, instances of discrimination that uh, may not be intentional, but they are offensive? Yes, for sure. Um, I think one of the ones that I noticed the most is probably one that's most offensive to a lot of African-American students, which is the fact that teachers – occasionally will tell them at the end of the day that the crack bus has arrived, um, which is not necessarily for them. I know a lot of students that have had that to- been told that and 
live in Simsbury. And even though they're African-American, they're initially thought to live in Hartford. And I think that the whole situation was really an eye-opener because we're all in high school and mostly we're thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about getting to college, getting good grades. What am I having for dinner when I go home? Um, And so I think that when I saw that post, it really angered me. Knowing people in my school who are African-American, having friends that are African-American, it's so difficult for them to not take that personally. It would be like if someone wrote a gay slur on the wall and then asked the gay community to not take that personally. It's the exact same thing and the pictures really hurt. And I think that what the community has done so far is take that and force people to ask themselves what they're doing to help. And I think that this show is really all we needed. It's going to invite people to not only experience um, segregation and then desegregation, but also just music and dance. And it's a different way of helping people f- start their journey into into the civil rights movement. I think that in some situations, books or movies can sometimes be a little aggressive, which can make people not want to watch them. If they're purposely based on helping African-American people experience explain their experiences. Sometimes I think that people get afraid of that and they don't want to have to uh, face their own issues, face their face what they've done. So music and and dance and acting is a way for people to experience it through a different lens that isn't as aggressive and is much more inclusive. And it's for everyone, students, kids, adults, elderly, teachers, teachers <laughs> everyone can go um, and just ex- enjoy what it feels like to be part of a situation where everyone is listening to the same music, enjoying the same situation, and just having a good time. Ainsley Thompson is a senior at Simsbury High School, also here with us, another senior, Shamar Sutton, uh, two cast members in the school's production of Hairspray. Uh, Stuart Yance is with us as well, director of theater at Simsbury High. We're going to continue talking about how this musical is encouraging the Simsbury community to talk about race and privilege. You can join us too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today, uh, we're talking about a musical set in the 1960s that's helping students talk about race and privilege today. Simsbury High School will perform Hairspray this weekend. Information about that uh, production is on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. Two student cast members are in studio with me, Ainsley Thompson, who plays Penny Pingleton, and also uh, Shamar Sutton, a senior who plays Dwayne in Hairspray. Uh, Joining us now by phone is Dr. Duran Williams, Assistant Professor of Theater at Eastern Connecticut State University. Uh, welcome to the show, Duran. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. So we just have a few minutes left. I understand you came in as a consultant to talk with uh, the students in the cast about uh, Hairspray and how it, it fits into the context of today. I'm wondering if you can talk about um, how you did that. Um, I was invited in by Dr. Yance and when I got there, I had just gotten off a plane from Hawaii uh, from a conference, so I was a little jet lagged once I 
um, got there. But once um, we started talking with the students and we started um, doing various workshops and uh, having different conversations, they really filled up my spirit and gave me energy um, to move forward. Um, but we really broke down what it meant to be marginalized, um, what it means to be a part of a group that's not a part of the majority. So we talked about LGBT issues, we talked about race, we talked about gender, we talked about sexuality, and we addressed all of these issues in their personal feelings. Um, and they really opened up through that conversation. I'm wondering if we could talk more about privilege, because in uh, the musical Hairspray, I was thinking how, uh, you know, Tracy has the privilege of of not only uh, living and experiencing uh, in uh, white Baltimore, but then going to the black neighborhoods in Baltimore and easily going into uh, the record shops and uh, mingling with the African-American residents. And and that does show privilege. That wasn't something that uh, uh, black uh, Baltimore residents had the privilege of doing uh, back in the 19th. And and how did you talk about that with students today, thinking about their privilege? Yeah, um, a part of our conversation is um, was about how to use your privilege. Uh, being that majority of the cast is white, um, we had a conversation about yes, we have privilege um, as a student, as a person. Um, as a white person in the world where you have access to certain things and you can use that privilege for good um, to advocate for people who are different from you who may uh, not have the same access as you. So I really pressed upon them that they need to consider about using that privilege um, in those ways to advocate for others. Uh, were there, uh, can you share maybe an anecdote? Were there some real candid conversations in these discussions, uh, Duran? Um, the students are smiling, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, one of the conversations, um, and, and this was actually at the panel, um, asking about how to stop something from happening or if they receive a question about uh, what can they do. And I told them to use, uh, reverse the question onto the person and say, how can you use your privilege instead of asking me what, what I need you to do? Think about what you can do with your privilege and think about what you can do as a person in this world to make it better. Anything that you can do, any step that you can step forward uh, will be a great step uh, for us all. I wanted to bring uh, Shamar Sutton back in the conversation, a senior at Simsbury Plays Duane in Hairspray. Uh, Shamar, uh, you know, for some people um, within uh, Simsbury High School, uh, discrimination isn't something they'd experience, uh, and they may not think it is an issue. I mean, how did you feel like these conversations with Deron Williams and others got the point across? Um, so as I had said before uh, early in the show, I myself haven't had that many issues with discrimination in, in the high school. Maybe I'm just like not paying attention enough or maybe I just like I've just been steering clear of it. But seeing everyone who was around me talk about how like what's happened to them and how much it's affected them definitely opened up my eyes to see like there are definitely like problems here that like I like if we never had these conversations, I still would have been completely blind to. And it was definitely nice to like 
have conversations with other students and see like what their experiences are because someone like me who might not have anything happen to him could be completely different to someone else who is in the community who could be having something happen to them every day or every minute. You never know like what they're going through. So the way I saw it was it was a very nice eye-opener and it definitely like struck me as, wow, I – I'm definitely lucky to not have like something like this happen to me all the time. But I've definitely noticed that like I like something clicked in my brain and it was like I really need to do something about this or I really need to like try and figure out a way to make this better like later on in life so that somebody else who comes along who's in a situation like this or a situation like mine wouldn't have to deal with something like that. Mm. Um, Deron, uh, before I take a quick call, uh, again, this conversation um, that you're having uh, with students about uh, what students uh, uh, can do or how they should respond. But sometimes this kind of lesson needs to be heard uh, by adults and they need to also get that lesson. And so I'm curious how you talked with these students about how to interact with adults uh, when these issues come up. Um, I made made sure that the students understand that they should be able to approach anyone when they um, see something that's going wrong or um, if something's been done to someone from a minority group. And I always tell them to approach even adults with great respect um, because the only way we can have great conversation and move forward is through respect. Um, so creating respectful dialogue and helping people to understand the gravity of what's happening or what's being said is very important. So just approach it with respect. Um, and I think adults need to understand that, hey, you have to respect uh, young adults and uh, young students um, in the same way that you respect everyone else. We all deserve it. Uh, Tom's calling from Manchester. Uh, Tom, go ahead. Uh, yes, good morning. Um, I'm a college-educated African-American uh, man from uh, Manchester, and we're doing what we can in uh, you know, the town I live in. We're dealing with um, equity and diversity. We had um, Tim Wise and Dr. Michael Hardy, well-known race relations, in August for a high school students. So I think we're trying to you know, walk the talk. We've had some forums in town about uh, town hiring um, spring of last year. But I guess when you deal with um, uh, race, sometimes... Uh, book called White Fragility and Can We Talk About Race? I guess the other way is that uh, you do feel it as a person of color and you're not you know, making it up, it's not in your head. So I think sometimes it can be patronizing on the other side that they don't really understand it. And if you do understand feel anger, that's your real feelings. And that secondly, you don't have to feel like a second class you know, citizen because maybe they don't agree with you, but that's something that, you know, uh, I'll never, you know, give up on my um, culture. And I think third, um, dealing with adults in society, sometimes you have to work with those you can work with and then work around those that you can't and uh, that we're all Americans. And I think with the anti-immigration and other issues here, we have to really look from within because from the top leadership from the Trump administration now, looks like we're going back 60 years, and I'm a product of that and affirmative action. We're not taking away anything from whites, but can we look at the old boy network and and work it to make it better? And that includes working class and poor whites, too, because they're in it before that uh, they can be used as pawns, mm. too, and uh, that we have a problem with racism, hate groups, and I think the ones that don't wear the sheets or the brown shirts uh, 
on the radio or on TV. It's there. It's subtle. Yes. And then it's in worldwide, too, with Brazil and other countries, too, that right. pushing back against immigrants well, of color. So I want to end with that. Best okay, Tom, we're, we're almost uh, out of time, but we thank you. We're glad to hear that uh, the town of Manchester is also having these conversations. Uh, before we run out of time, I do want to mention that, again, Simsbury High School, they're performing Hairspray opening this weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday at 7, Sunday at 2. We have more information on our website at wmpr.org slash where we live. Uh, Ainsley Thompson, I, I wanted to end with you because um, as you saw uh, this evolution between uh, the cast, uh, you know, how did you see even the students interacting differently within the cast uh, from the beginning and now with opening uh, night coming up? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that when we first had our conversations with um, Dr. Williams, I really saw people opening up that I had not talked to before. Um, in one situation, we had a freshman who talked about how he was bullied really badly. And it made me think about how how it felt to be in that situation. And I actually went up to him afterward and just said, you know, I know we don't know each other very well, but if anybody ever says anything like that to you ever again, you come straight to me and I will have some words to say to them. Because it doesn't matter if you don't know someone. The thing that's so important is as someone of the LGBTQ plus community. I know what it's like to be in a situation where you're standing in Starbucks and some old lady asks you if you're a girl or a boy and you just don't understand why she had to ask. And so I think that throughout this show, it's just been a really great experience to see people come together. And standing up for each other. Yes. Well, Ainsley Thompson and Shamar uh, Sutton break a leg uh, this weekend, <laughs> again, with the Simsbury High School production of Hairspray. It was a pleasure to speak with both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Also, Dr. Stuart Yance and Dr. Deron Williams here on Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Again, information about Hairspray uh, put on by Simsbury High School on our website, wmpr.org where we live.